Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. I hope you enjoyed your Christmas. I'm sure you all enjoyed your Boxing Day as Watford picked up a win against league leaders Norwich. Once again, I'm delighted to be joined by two guests, football analyst Jordan Weimer and football journalist Tom Burdell. Guys, how were your Christmases? Great, thanks. Yeah, had a good time. Um, it was pretty good. Excellent. Tom? All the better for a Watford win and uh, being able to sit in the warm and enjoy it on the telly and not get too frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. And it was the, the first chance we've got to see uh, uh, Chisco Manuf, uh set up in formation and, and how he likes to play. And, well, it looked like, uh, you know, like the, the happy, smiley man have got some happy, smiley players. They they, they seem to be enjoying themselves. And, and, and more importantly, they got themselves the win. Uh, guys, who wants to start? Who wants to tell us how they were they were set up, how they were lining up and how different they were to, to of course, Vladimir Ivic's side? Yeah, I guess I'll start on things. Um, I mean, in terms of setup, it was pretty pretty different, almost polar opposite in some regards. I think we maybe looked a little stretch at times early on in the first half defensively, but on the ball, it was very much uh, looking forward early, getting bodies forward and uh, trying to be aggressive on the ball. And I think, I think we saw a, a, quite a contrast in, in the way we played and just the actual uh, execution of the players was different too. They looked a little bit more uh, a, little, a little bit more positive in possession and uh, there's just a, an upbeat feel around the team. So it wasn't perfect that first half, but it started to come together in come together in the second and uh, things looked a lot smoother. And I think it's pretty promising overall, especially when you contrast um, when you contrast the feelings that we had throughout the games compared to Ivic. I think there's just a general kind of sense of dullness that was that was felt through the style of football. And I think having something a little different was refreshing for not just the fans, but for the players in the pitch too. And you could see that in their faces after the uh, final whistle as well. I thought. I think Jordan hit the nail on the head there when he said that the the feeling was more you know positive. The 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 what the players were trying to do with the ball was more positive. It, you know, it wasn't the finished product. It wasn't super polished as you'd expect. I think um, Ken Semmer said in the week that they'd only had three training sessions with Cisco. Cisco, I need to check how he's actually you say his name. Um, so you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna reinvent the wheel in that time. But evidently, some of the message that he's gonna try and, and get into the players was was apparent in the way they played and, and the game plan so from that point of view it was, it was certainly a pretty encouraging start yeah i saw a good tweet uh that ex- ex- sort of explained how to say his name tom so I'll, I'll tell you what that tweet told me and hopefully that's correct it said uh the first part is is like a chi so like a, a like a like a like chinese for example like chi and then um the the next bit is like scotland like sco it's so like chi sco 
<laughs> and then uh, the next bit, I believe, is like Mun is just like Mun. And then uh, the the last part of that name is like um, an O-T-H sound, like an off. So like a Munoff. Yeah, so I think it's bash. just got Munoff. But uh, I'm sure if I said that to his face, he would he would tell me I'm wrong. But, uh, but There's such a fine line between saying the correct pronunciation and sounding pretentious, isn't there? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yes. You know, when, I'm, when I listen to commentators, um, and sometimes I listen to others to try and um, improve my own commentating style, I, I, I hear that commentators start to put in like the, the sort of Spanish sounding uh, names of the players in like a kind of accent. So sometimes they'll be saying, and he gets the ball over to Jimenez. And I'll be like, yeah. oh, come on, guys. Do you need to <laughs> just, just say Jimenez? Is, do you don't need to have put the little sort of accent on the end during the commentary? I do kind of appreciate it. I do kind of appreciate the effort that's, that's being put in to do so, especially from, Engli- from an English perspective. But yeah, it, it, it does come across a bit strange, especially well, when it's yeah. like contrast with South London accent or something. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes it sounds like you're putting on an accent, like you're putting on a foreign accent to try and... Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's appropriate. I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's sometimes why I hear it anyway. Bit of a Joey Barton fresh press con- French press conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get back to the game at hand. Um, I mean, all things considered, it was a, a pretty enjoyable game to watch. And that's, it's been a while since I've watched a Watford game where I've been entertained throughout, even though there were some real calamitous uh, decision-making up top from some of our strikers and, and some missed opportunities um but there was also some really good defending as well um uh, Norwich were also sort of like uh, quite an attacking team as well and it was nice to see the two attacking sides go up against each other and you know I really enjoyed the game how about how about you Tom did you did you enjoy watching the game yeah I did and it's it's funny isn't it I said this to you beforehand so excuse me for repeating myself but I think it bears worth saying that it's amazing how a result changes the the viewing perspective of a performance because if we'd have even if we'd have won that game one 0 under Vladimirovich, I think most people would have come away going, oh, we weren't great, you know. It was fits and starts. It wasn't, you know. There's work to be done, but because it's a new man and a new era, and, it, and yes, it was more positive. And this is not to um, undermine everything we both just said, but you know, it's not the finished product is what I'm trying to say here. Um, there's a, a lot more positivity. I mean, I saw people labelling it a brilliant performance. Well, it was it was notably better than some that we've some of the low points we've seen this season. But I don't know if it was if it could suddenly be regarded as brilliant. You know, we had one shot on target, albeit against the league leaders. You know, a week ago we lost to lost to Huddersfield, but you know we had twenty something shots. So it's you know ultimately the 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 end justifies the means. Um, but I, th- I think that there's no. We shouldn't be getting carried away at this stage. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a sign of intent of what he wants to do. It was interesting that he changed the shape. It was interesting that he, uh, you know, moved people around. Nakia uh, and, and Feminia, obviously swapping sides. Ishmada saw in a kind of nominally deeper role. I mean, albeit that he spent the entire game pushed up on that right hand side, but you know, playing as a, as a, a proper winger. Rather than in a two, um, you know there were there were differences, and it was it was interesting, and it was there was enough there. I think, as I say, without getting carried away, and I don't want to be a, 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 a doom monger, but without getting carried away, there was enough there to think that things are hopefully going to start going in the right direction fairly soon, and, and only improve the longer uh, Chisco gets to to spend with the players. 
Now, he played Foster in goal, which I don't think was a big surprise. Not a very big shock. I mean, he had a, a little blip there, but um, of course, he was always going to keep his place. But what did surprise me was that he started with Francisco Sirota alongside Wilmot. Sirota, who hasn't really played much football this season, not um, in the league anyway for Watford. Um, but it was a big call from the man, but uh, he had a, a very good performance, didn't he? Yeah, I think I think he uh, was a little bit forced into that with injuries to to Cavaselli, Trusser, Kong, and Cathcart. But it, it was still a you know a decision that had to be made, and he came in. And he did a very good job. I think he was a, a pleasant surprise from the performance. Uh, I think just touched on what Tom said. I don't think I think when you talk about good performances and, and very good performances, it's kind of a little bit subjective. And if we'd have won that game one under Ivic, if you're looking at it from a defensive standpoint, it could have been a good performance. But I think it's just the air. Of, of the team in general we just kind of gave people that different opinion of how the, how the game went and as you say it wasn't perfect but you definitely felt a little bit, little bit more positive and I think including someone like Serialta into the team and having that little bit of freshness um, the new player coming in and, and putting in a good performance really helped um, I, I was pretty impressed with him overall I think he did did a good job alongside Wilmot too who was also very good at the back there especially considering how much time they spent in their own box they had to be switched on the entire time and I think that was something that a few of us that had watched uh, Syriata when, when he joined Watford to have a look at how he played previously were a little bit concerned about maybe that part of his game. So I think to see him do that well is, is all, always going to be good and it adds a lot of competition to that positional group, which is quickly becoming our strongest now with the centre-backs, especially if we are going to be playing a back four with just the two centre-backs. We've got a very strong strong group there. So yeah, I think that was just one one extra little piece of the uh, piece of the puzzle there, which led to that kind of positive feeling for the end of the game was having that extra that extra player coming in and making a difference. And then the other thing that surprised me was that uh, Firmino, who has often been deployed on the left because of the absence of, uh, of left-sided players, was playing on the right side. Not that uh, in itself uh, too unfamiliar, but Ngakia, who had, had had predominantly been playing on the right, was deployed on the left side. And for the most part, it worked. I'm not sure if I was completely confident in it, but you know, it worked for the most of the part. It was an interesting one, wasn't it? I, I tweeted this fairly early in the game. I wondered if it was to kind of neutralise the threat of Emi Buendia, who's obviously the fantastic player of Norwich. Surprising that he's still there. I suspect in a non-COVID uh, time, someone might have taken a gamble on him in the summer transfer window, seeing as he did as well as he did in the Premier League in a pretty poor Norwich team last season and, and Ngakia being probably the most defensively minded, defensively solid of our fullback options, you know, stationing him over there to come up against Buendia. I wondered if that was a direct kind of move to, to, to neutralise that threat. If it was, I'm not entirely sure it worked. That's not to say Ngakia had a nightmare by any means, but you know, Buendia was sort of drifting inside, I suppose, and 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 finding options and making space, um, making space by doing that. It was um, it was interesting. It'll be, I guess, we will know the answer to that uh, for the Swansea game at the start of Jan, if uh, if he persists or if it was just a one-off. But uh, Jordan, what are your thoughts on that? You're much more tactically astute than I am, so. But I thought I thought it was. Uh, I mean, I think you're right in saying this. It could be a decision uh, to kind of compensate for Buendia on that right hand side. Uh, but I think at the same time too, I think Kiko offers a lot more going forwards in possession. Yeah. Um, I think if you're looking at getting delivery into the box, which is something we've seen, uh, I've, I've seen just in the brief uh, amount of footage that's really available on on Shishko, is he likes to get he likes to get crosses in the box. He likes to have fullback supporting, and for, for many, he's kind of got 
more of a benefit, more of a plus side to his game if you're getting him in, into those positions than Ngakio. He can get forward to the ball. Obviously, we've seen that, but there's just a little bit, a little bit more culture when it comes to delivery from uh, Kiko. So I think, I think if you have that coming from that right hand side, uh, we didn't actually get to see too much of it. I thought is that that didn't really quite click for us. We didn't quite get Kiko into those advanced positions that we we've seen a lot of positives from. In, in previous games but I think if you continue down that route I think that'd be something that'd be quite positive for us and then when it comes to Ngakia obviously he's a he's a more solid defensive player I think he's a he's a better all-round defender than Kiko especially when it comes to those one-on-one tracking situations so you you lose a bit of uh, a, bit, a bit of range of passing on the ball on the left but at the same time if he plays his game simple and just plays it inside there's nothing really too too troubling about that and I think we did a decent job down the left of still being a threat so I think you can look at it from both ways really it's a defensive move but also it could be seen as offensive uh, just depends on uh, on which one uh, comes out on top really he uh, decided to go with the Gray Dini partnership up top. It's been deployed before this season, and uh, we had the same kind of benefits that we've seen from it, where th- those two seem to link up very well. Dini, you know, t- tends to come a bit of a further back and sets things up for 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 Gray to try and get away. But um, they they weren't really well. We, we mentioned it earlier; they didn't get many shots on target. In fact, I don't think they had any shots on target, which is a disappointment. And um, on a different day, Norwich probably could have won that game if they had put away their chances, and um, because Watford didn't really have anything other than the the opportunity that they made that they scored through Saar. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Gray Dini partnership is a bit of a point of contention for some. I think some are a little bit more fond of it than others. I, I'm personally not convinced by. It. I I just haven't seen enough from Andre Gray in the last. Well, at all this season, honestly, to, to suggest that he kind of warrants that starting spot. And I, I think we kind of saw the same thing again yesterday. I know he got criticised for some of the some of the shots he had, the, the two shots he had. They could have been better, of course. He, he just looked very unnatural in his, in his finishing. And I think the volley was a very difficult chance. I don't think you can criticise him too heavily on that. He kind of did the right thing. And he was he was a little bit unfortunate not to, not to put the ball in the top corner. But I, I think it's just his all-round play. It's just a little bit... Doesn't quite work for us, I don't feel like he, he made some decent runs into some channels and maybe, maybe was able to get on the end of some balls that we that we needed him to get to. But apart from that, I just think he looks very, very laboured. And I, I've said this before, and I've mentioned it on here, I think as well. But I just feel like when he plays, he's got a stiffness to his game. I don't, I don't feel like he's he's that kind of mobile forward that gives you that out ball and gives you that that break that chance to break I, I don't really see that in his game at the moment I just kind of see this straight line runner that occasionally can get into into positions out wide and hopefully help you kind of move up the field but in terms of being a threat in the box I just don't really see it and and Troy kind of as you as touched on there Matt does what Troy does he drops off a little deeper and kind of operates on that that slightly deeper left hand side uh, of the, of the uh, edge of the box and that's where he kind of wants to play and, and, and make things happen but I don't really see the movement from Gray I, I don't really see the, the partnership there being that productive um, I think we have players on the bench that can make a difference and we saw a brief a brief spell of Parisha and Dini together and we saw some promising signs from that so I think that'd be something we'd like to see a little more of and um, maybe something as well with uh, with Pedro being included in that too but yeah in terms of the partnership as a whole I do, I do think Gray, Gray kind of lets it down a little bit for me anyway yeah I'll just expand upon that we um we talked a bit before the show that uh we, we felt at least uh, Tom and I felt that uh, the substitutions that were made were more positive than had been previously made under Ivic. And, and Tom, do you want to expand on that a bit for me? Yeah, I just what I looked up, it passed. I had sort of semi noticed it at the time, but I just confirmed it prior to the show. But he did use his full five subs, and I suspect I'm right in saying that Ivic, if ever, very rarely used his full five subs. And obviously, that rule was only brought in partway through the season. 
but it and and you're obviously governed by what's on the bench and whether you think you can actually change the game and on a lot of occasions there were youngsters who were you know fairly unproven and, they, and even last night there were two youngsters Joe Hungbo and Kane Critchlow um, but you know he used the kind of senior players on the bench and I think that was quite encouraging to see I think was it the possibly the Huddersfield uh, no sorry there was a dismal, dismal game prior to Huddersfield where I don't think he made a single sub or made kind of one sub and you just at, at times I don't know maybe it's a, it's a bit reductive, but it's the optics of it. You know, we seem to be trying to change something. And I know, you know, football fans generally, if you see a defender coming on when you're losing, grumble, even if the reason for that is to go to, you know, go to a to a back four rather than a back three and, and try and get the fullbacks higher instead of having three centre-halves strung along the outside of the penalty area. You know, whatever the change might be. But it, it did, that definitely fed into the the feeling of positivity and that and Chisco was going to be, you know, take the ball by the horns a little bit more. And and just to continue what Jordan said, I think about, about Andre Gray, sorry, the, the word stiffness, that's such a great word to describe him. Um, that I'd never thought of that, but as soon as he said it, I thought, yeah, that, that really fits. And that volley, no one's expecting him to smash that away because Jordan Rice says that's not an easy chance. And he did the right thing. You know, he waited, he waited for it to come down. He didn't snatch it, but he just... You never had confidence in him scoring it, and to not hit the target, or you know, get a defender to block it, or make the make Michael McGovern make a save was just really frustrating. And then the other point I wanted to add, without harking back to Andre Gray too much, is that um, you know the the idea that he's kind of got a bit bit more bit more pace, and he can kind of go go out wide and, and run the channels is great to a point. But I think you know I, I wonder if that then prohibits Saar from from doing his worst down down the right. You almost you just want Gray, I think, to stay kind of within the the lines of the six yard box almost in goal hang and, and just try and get some goals to go in off any part of his body um to get, you know, to to build his confidence. Because if he if he doesn't, you know, score a few goals this season, whatever division we're in next season, you find it hard to believe that he can be um, you know, an important player for us. It's difficult because I do I do feel I do sympathize I do sympathize with Gray a little bit at times. I, I do think he comes he comes under some some harsh criticism. He has done for Definitely. kind of his, his entire time at the, at the club, and you know I don't I don't think you can be too harsh on him at some time at some points because ultimately if he's putting in the effort and he's, he's attempting to do his best, then you, you kind of have to have a little bit of sympathy for that. But I think yeah. it's at, at a certain point you do have to judge a player based on his ability and I think we've seen as as many times as we've watched him playing at Watford shirt we've seen where he lacks ability and we've seen where he can play and I think we've seen the best of him in, in very specific moments of his career and you know I, I do think it's a very cliche thing to say but I do think he plays with a level of confidence if he doesn't have that he does struggle I think part of that is down to his lack of technical ability I think if he, if he gets in the right positions He's got a very simplistic skill set, which if he, if he gets in the right positions, he can use it and he can be effective. But as we talked about before, you're not going to build your team around that because it's too niche of a, of a strategy and it's not something that's really productive enough to warrant you setting your team up around that that set of skills. And I think also too, we just not to get him in the positions enough. He he had that little bit of a, 
a kind of a good spell under Javi where he made some late substitute appearances and he kind of got into yeah. some good positions and we were kind of throwing bodies forwards and he, he managed to kind of get a little bit of confidence and a little bit of a run going. He, he got some good some good goals and some good times and that was that was his best spell for us by far. But I think when you look at his all-round game, I just don't see him offering enough over, over 90 minutes and it, it's, it's disappointing. I think we'd, we'd like him to do well, but I think obviously when you have the off-the-field stuff, it kind of compounds the frustration with him as a player and it's it just becomes a very unhealthy environment. I just... I think at this point now it's very difficult to see him um, succeeding at Watford and kind of furthering his career with us. I think it's kind of at the point now where it's just it's just going to continue for as long as he's here. I, it's a shame we want him to do better, um, but I don't really see how much longer we can continue down that road and expect much difference. Honestly, do you think the price tag has anything to do with Watford fans' expectations of him when he arrived? Because he, he was the highest ever signing, eighteen million. Uh, you know, you expect something big from a from a player that's coming in with those kind of figures but um it's never really hit the hit the hit the road and uh you know it i feel like maybe we would be giving him a bit more patience or a bit more time if he had come through the ranks at Watford rather than someone Definitely. that we signed for a big figure. Well, it's yeah. true. You're going you're gonna to use that. You're going to use that against him. If, if you're criticising Gray, then you're saying, you know, going to the 18 million price tag is an easy stick to beat him with. It's, it's you know, you can go to that first. But I think ultimately, if if we decide him on a free, he's still put, if he's still putting in their performances, there's still enough problems with it to, to have to have criticism thrown his way. And it's going to happen regardless. I think obviously the 18 million price tag will be used, but... For me, if he's playing at that level consistently, then it's it's not good enough regardless of how much you paid for him. Uh, I don't think we can look too much at the price tag because it, it's gone now. It's, it's not even relevant to us at this point. We just have to look at his performances on the pitch now. And we're just not seeing enough. And I think it was the game against Bristol, I think particularly away, was it, it, he really, really struggled. And he started the next game after that, I believe. And it, it, it's frustrating because um, I think we could do better but there's something there's something that managers the coaches are seeing that, that that's getting him into the team and there's something that's stopping uh, Pariccia from starting so maybe we're not privy to all of it but I'm not sure I just I understand what you're saying about the price tag but I think if you just look at the performances then there's still enough question marks being raised there Okay, Andre Gray, uh, perhaps a negative from that game, but there were plenty of positives to look at, one of which was somebody who only actually played 20 minutes in the end, uh, plus the additional time. That was Adam Messina. He's back. And uh, wow, I mean, amazing. He was uh, being being considered for, for the man of the match by some people, having played, very, you know, not, not nearly uh, enough, in my opinion, to, 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 to get that. But it, that's just how good he was when he came on. So he made some amazing... Uh, you know, game-saving challenges, um, getting his toe on one right at the end as well, which was uh, re- really, really good to see. And I think just having that left-sided player in that position that we've we've been lacking all season. Um, no disrespect to Ringaki because he, he he did a good job on the left, but I never felt particularly confident. I don't think he thinks that's his best position either. He would much prefer to be on the right-hand side. And, and when Messina came on, he he looked like the player that we've been missing all season. It was it was interesting, wasn't it? I was just I was just racking my brains trying to remember. Was it one challenge or two? There was certainly the, the Pookie one, which I have to admit at the time. I don't know. I'm interested in think hear what you guys thought. I thought, oh my god, what is he doing? I thought that's a stonewall. And now, obviously, my eyesight is well, not obviously my eyesight is terrible. I wear glasses twenty four seven, and it was only on the replay um, that I realised he's got a touch on it. No, you're right, um, Tom. You're right. In the widescreen angle, it looked like he had brought him down, didn't it? It did. Look yeah, like. it did. And you, you know, in the in the 
in the VAR era that we're in, I thought, blimey, we wouldn't have got away with that in the Premier League. And then I saw the replay and thought, okay, fair enough. Uh, maybe we would have. Um, yeah, he looked good, didn't he? I think I think the the fact that he made such an important tackle is in you know to preserve the win probably has has helped people kind of blow his contribution out of of all uh, all proportion. And and there's that kind of you're never you're never more valued than when you're missing. I think in football or, or unavailable are you in football? The the missing player is always the solution. You know, I think right back to. Um, when we were in the Premier League in 2006, 2007, I'd, you know, I'd convinced myself that things would have been different if Gareth Williams stayed fit and, you know, because I liked him a lot. And I thought, you know, so there's a player. Um, what a name. You know, yeah, little did I know he was basically never going to kick a ball for us again. Um, you know, I'm sure our whole history would have been different had he stayed fit. But there, there is an element of that, isn't there? So, no, looking forward, having him back is, is a, a real boon and, and to have him back a few weeks evidently ahead of what the club are expecting as well probably means that we aren't going to be in the the urgent rush to sign a left back that we might otherwise have been. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I think if you look at West Ham away last season aside, I think Mass has been very good for us. And I, I know that game in particular gets used against him quite a lot. But I think he's a very good left back, and I think he's a very well-rounded player. And yeah. especially when you when you see him in them in them areas in the box, there's I mean you've got to have a slight. I guess you could argue you've got a slight a slight amount of recklessness to you to even attempt that challenge, but it's also confidence in, confidence in his own ability. Um, and I said on Twitter as well, as a, as a fellow long-legged man, as such as Adam Messina, <laughs> that I, I do appreciate that sort of challenge to, to wrap himself around. And it was, yeah, it's incredible. It was a game-winning challenge and you don't get to see them too often anymore. So that was, it was extremely satisfying to see. And I think it was, uh, everyone felt very positive about Massner afterwards. And yeah, I think that's rightfully so. He, he's we've, He's been a miss and he, he's a solid player for us. And I think he would have contributed um, had he been available for the whole season. So uh, I'm happy to see him back and, I think he's got a specific skill set we don't have anywhere else, and I think it's it's definitely worth worth him being in, in the team for us. And he's going to be a starter for us going forward, I'd imagine. So yeah, very positive, especially when you're playing in that back four too. He does he does offer like a nice level of balance. He can get forward, but he's also very competent at, at defending, especially when it comes to defending a little bit a little bit narrower, as we saw yesterday under Shishko. He, he liked to have them fullbacks come in nice and narrow, and then wingers come back quite deep, which we've we've seen at times um, under previous uh, coaches, especially Spanish coaches too. So. Yeah, I think overall it's a very good thing. And yeah, I mean, that tackle, I can watch that back a few times and uh, I'm not going to get bored of it. <laughs> he uh, went with Cleverly and Kapu in the middle of the park and they played pretty well together. I think they looked very good. But uh, the the news that we're hearing at the minute is that uh, it looks like that could be his last game for Watford. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, or, but uh, it, it looks as though Kapu is very close to joining Villarreal. I think he would have been gone in the summer, wouldn't he, if, if Valencia weren't a complete shambles of a football club. Javi, Javi Garcia wanted him, obviously got the very best out of him in his time at Watford and, and saw him as a fairly cheap um, you know, central midfield um, improvement or addition, I should say, probably for them. Uh, the fact that they they sold Jeffrey Kondogbia to to Atletico a few weeks or a couple of weeks after the transfer deadline, I thought probably ensured that they would have the cash to to finally come back in for him in January. But it looks like he's off to Villarreal, and you know he he is a better player than this level as we discussed at, at length last week. But you know his performances and his level of application haven't um, haven't backed that up. I'll be interested to hear what you have to say, Jordan. So again, much more analytical than I am, but. I just got so frustrated with him last night, the way he was, you know, particularly in the first half, he did well to stay on. I thought, I really thought he was a walking red card at times. That I can't remember who it was on where he sort of scraped them down the back of the Achilles and then he 
sort of he does tend to throw himself into challenges in a rather reckless way and as you said as as, as a long-legged man you might defend him but I thought he's either going to get hooked or second booking um, and I think that kind of blinkered my view of how well he actually did or didn't play what what did you make of him I mean I think when you look at Kapu this season it's it's a frustrating one because he hasn't been available and then obviously the, the, the transfer request and then the kind of rescinding of the transfer request and that whole situation eventually getting back into the team and it's it's, it's a very been very stop and, uh, stop and start for him so yeah, I, I mean, I, personally, I think when when available and when that is best, I think Kapu is our best player. I think he can be the heartbeat of the team, and you know, he, he gives you that he gives you that two way kind of midfield that you need in in a lot of the, the lot of systems we play in. He kind of gives you that extra boost. He's able to break up play. He's one of the best at doing it. I certainly has, a, you know, could arguably be the best in the league for doing that. And he's been up in the in the top in terms of uh, rating across Europe for the last couple of seasons in terms of his defensive production. But he can also play forward and he, he can start things and he gives you an option to to move into different areas of the pitch and he'll find you and it's it's something that can be very effective for us but the same as any player if he's not playing to that level if he's playing within himself or he's not quite able to meet his, his levels that he can play at then you know their the value goes down to you and it's it's a strange one I mean it's, it's very disappointing because when he, when he was staying that we kind of could picture Kapu kind of leading this midfield into being something pretty pretty competent and, and you know bordering on one of the best in the league if if uh, utilised properly once you have Hughes back in there and so on so I think losing him will be a big loss. Um, I think, as you say, as you said earlier, when we're talking about players not being available, I think there'll definitely be a, a feeling of um, of sadness and disappointment that he he's not around, and we might look to him missing as a, as a reason why we weren't succeeding in the field as, as much as we could have. But if he's not going to perform at the levels, and it, it's a it's, it's a difficult decision for us. But I think for me, the interesting thing is working out why we're actually deciding to do this now. Um, you've obviously got a couple of options. It could be financially motivated. Um, in which case that's fine but you're not going to be looking at replacement for him because I think the figures I've seen thrown around is about two two or three million pounds and you, you throw in his wages there you're probably making a five million pound profit and if you're looking to reinvest in the midfielder you're not really going to get much for five million pounds in January during COVID it's going to be a very a very small uh, it's going to be a very low deal and you're not going to be picking up the sort of quality that you have in Kapoor so I do wonder if it's an effort to kind of rid the squad of players that don't want to be around it, it's possible that's the case we might see it as an opportunity to get a bit of both in there, get some money off the books, and also rid ourselves of play doesn't want to be there. But you are losing, um, you are losing a significant level of quality in that midfield for me. Uh, so it all really depends on how the board deal with this, and, and if, if they try and fill that position, or if they kind of gamble on the, the squad they have available to them and, and try and go with that. It's, it's going to be interesting. Chalaba, Garner, and Hughes on the bench. Um, do you think they've got enough cover for the rest of the season with uh, with Kapu leaving potentially? No, no, I don't. I don't Ooh, at all. I don't feel confident in the midfield depth that we have if Kapu leaves. I think you really you, that that midfield, especially if you're going to continue with two man two man midfield, you've got to have a, a good level of versatility in there from them two midfielders. And Will Hughes, that's absolutely fine, no problem if he's available. Which he's had struggles with this season, and obviously things like COVID and stuff are separate from his general physical you know, footballing health. But I think if you don't have someone that you can fully rely on there, that that that's a problem to begin with. Um, but then if you look at the actual play style of the players we have there in the players you've mentioned in Ghana and, and Chalaba I don't think you can replicate the sort of uh, levels that you have in Kapu and I think in our most successful period we, 
of playing four four two in recent times on the grass here. We you had the, the players of Decore and Capu, which they offer such specific skills and that they're, they're very they're crucial to that sort of system working because you want to have someone that can not just cover the cover the ground but can play both ways. I don't really see that in um, in Cleverly and, and Chalaba myself and, and Garner to an extent too. So not so much they don't have the bodies there and it's not so much then players can't be good players, but if we're going to continue with this system, they don't fit um, particularly well. And that, that gives me cause for concern, especially if uh, Tom Delibashiri is not going to be back anytime soon, then it doesn't really feel like we're at a place where we can afford to really leave or have Kapu leave and, and be confident with them midfield and not feel like we're really losing a big part of it because it, at the moment, it is a big aspect. Uh, it's a good, it's a good chunk of the quality midfield gone for me. I think to just carry on to Jordan's points there, this strikes me as a getting a player out that doesn't want to be here long term slash aging, uh, and you know, unlikely to have much resale value, uh, partially but equally, if not more, you know, shaving something off the wage bill. You would reasonably assume he's been around for five years now. He's, you know, you'd reasonably assume he's one of the the higher earners. Um, it's a shame. It is, it is a big shame. He, if he if he plays to his his maximum capacity, then you know he's got the the ability to be one of the best midfielders in the division in his position, if not the best. But as we discussed, the Kapu that we have seen, the Kapu that is not uh, giving his all, and you know, kind of that just lackadaisical uh, player that we we have seen all too often probably isn't isn't worth keeping around it what i will add to that is i agree um we've got the bodies if not the 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 kind of the right profile of player it's, it was strikes me as a big opportunity for nathaniel chalabar if kapu goes because you'd think he's nominally the closest kind of player um, in, in terms of the role he performs we've not seen the best of him probably since before we got injured uh, all that time ago under Marco Silva just after he'd returned. Um, you know, I wouldn't be confident necessarily in him fulfilling that role and playing week in, week out, but it's an opportunity for him to really up his game and, and make that make that shirt his own, I would say. I'm just not sure we see enough from Chabot to suggest that he can do that at this level anymore. I think that's the, that's the problem with myself that I have with yeah. I just... I think with with Kapu and uh, if you're talking about him as a as a midfielder in that midfield too, he just is he's so well rounded um, yeah. when he's on, on his day, and you need to have that. And I just I think I think Chab has kind of worked his way into the team. He kind of found a spot by kind of fully investing himself into that defensive midfield role, where he'll sit deep and he'll occupy deeper positions and he'll break up play. But his range of passing is just you just don't see it consistently enough. And there's there's a, there's a bit of a I mean we've I feel like we've had this a lot at Watford over the years, and I'm sure clubs every club has their own version of this but we've seen players that kind of just fall away within themselves and just become less they, they become less a player less than what they were and there's a there's kind of like a when we first saw Chaba play for us when he when he was here on loan and when he came back and we we signed him under Marco Silva and we had that kind of that youthful kind of exuberance to his play we had a little bit more confidence he played a little bit more outwardly where I think in recent times he's gone very within himself and he kind of overthinks things a little bit and it's just it doesn't quite click and I, I just haven't seen enough to suggest that we can kind of get that player out, out of Chalaba um, especially when it's one that requires so much uh, responsibility such as Fenin Kapu's role so whilst I'd love him to do it I think it's going to be a, a tough job for him to fill um, Is, is Chalaba the, the most direct replacement that we have that could fill 
Kapu's position. I don't think we have a direct replacement no. for Jack. Uh, no, for, for he's Kapu. the closest, I, I, isn't he? Yeah. You, 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 I, think you, I think if you start looking at the squad we have and you try and find a direct replacement, you, you're kind of making a mistake because we just you have to shift your idea of what that midfield is going to be because Kapu's a very, a very unique player and I don't think you can necessarily replace that. I think it's very hard to go out in the transfer market and try and replace. I think you just accept the fact that you're changing the role of the, of the midfield and you, you kind of you're not building towards a player that offers you um, what Kapu does. So you have to kind of rethink on what you're doing there. Um, whether you want to do that through Will Hughes and maybe have someone that's you know energetic alongside him like Tom Cleverley, that might be your best option uh, during during uh, Tom Dalibashiri's absence anyway. Um, and that might be a route you decide to go down. But if you're going into the transfer market, if you're going to the loan market, then you're kind of having to look for someone that can just offer you a few different uh, a few different options and, and try and look for a different way of approaching things. So I think replacing Kapu is a very, very difficult thing to do. Before the game, I saw a lot uh, written about how Munith uh, likes to play and, and it seems as though he is in favour of, of wing play. That's his sort of ideal. And, and it was no surprise really that... Um, it was Semmer and Saar who combined to, to to get the to get the opener for Watford and what ultimately proved to be the winner as well. Do you, do you expect to see a lot more uh, play down the wings for Watford now that uh, Menef is in charge? We put in 25 crosses yesterday, which was on the high side. Didn't complete many, albeit the, the game-winning moment came from across. And also, just quickly to tie that up slightly with what we're talking about a second ago, I'd forgotten until I was watching the highlights back over in, in the background while you guys were talking. Kapu makes the interception to set Andre Gray away, who then eventually gives it back to Kapu, who gives it to Semmer to put the cross in. Um, so I think that quite, quite neatly in that sort of 20 seconds or whatever it was, surmises what he does so well, which is, you know, read the game in his own defensive third, break the play up and then get us moving up the field. Um in terms of the number of crosses, I will put that over to put that over to Jordan, who I know has watched a lot more of his team um, in in Georgia. Yeah, it's definitely an avenue he likes to attack down. And I think when you when you set up in that four four two, naturally you kind of be looking to them areas, whether it's your wide men, or your, your two strikers to kind of make chances, and your, your midfielders are, are there to kind of be that energy midfield, break up play, and just kind of recycle the ball. And that's why I think Kapu is so unique, as he says you're saying there, Tom, is because he gives you that opportunity to break up play, but also is an avenue of attack in the sense that he can he can spark an attack from deep, and he can play you forward, and suddenly you're in. And there's a couple of opportunities that he created from a very similar situation yesterday too. So yeah, that is something you miss. But the wing the wing play is something he's going to be definitely looking for um the fullbacks are going to have a, a, a big role in terms of supporting those wingers and and the strikers too i mean it, it's, it's a very we saw it with Javi too like the kind of the, the forward players they work together in 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 varying ways i think Javi was more was more narrow in how he uses wide men where from what we've seen in the Fisco, he likes to kind of have a little bit more width and you even see these these his fullbacks will underlap at times because they'll, they'll kind of keep that narrow that narrow route away and uh and try and hurt the defense that way so it's going to be very centered around them wings, uh, but we also want to see some some movement from from the forwards a little bit more. I think that was almost partly the due to the fact that we just didn't have that kind of that cohesion in the in the center of the pitch that we saw a little bit more coming from those wings yesterday. Um, I think in an ideal world to be a little bit more balanced and we'd we'd have a little bit more play between between the two wingers and the forwards. But I think in terms of yesterday, that was definitely one of our strong points, especially because we have the quality in them wide areas. And I think we did see a little bit of a better performance from Saar. Um, there's still a few occasions where I think 
I've seen lots of people comment on it. I think it's very true is that he could be a little bit more aggressive when he's in possession. Um, and even if we just saw, there's a couple of opportunities, a couple of occasions yesterday where he tracked back with a, a real good level of effort and he, he got back extremely well and he, he fought to get back and he won the ball. I think sometimes I'd like to see him play with that same intensity going the other way. And I think he could be a little bit more positive, but that's something that might come with time. Um, and he's, he's, he's been quite confident at getting that, that cross in the box. And same with Semmer and obviously it ended up creating a goal for us. So, yeah, I think if we can be a little bit more, a little bit more cohesive with our forwards and that would definitely be a, a primary avenue of attack. Right, okay, last one, guys. Swansea coming up next. Uh, of course, the Millwall game that was due to come up has been postponed due to COVID. Potentially, though, it could be, um, a, a, you know, sort of a good thing in disguise there because it means now that Manef has got his... Uh, his side to, to work with for a whole week and it's up against a, a strong Swansea side who who have now climbed to second in the table. I think he could do with that that week to, to really get what he wants into his players. Yeah, I think I think we know what to expect from Swansea even in the Championship. You know, a few years after their time in the Premier League, they are a side that look first and foremost to keep the ball. Um, but touching on what you said there and, and Munoz having time to work with the players, I think, yeah, absolutely right. It's a blessing in disguise this time of year is uh, is, is notoriously horrible from a, a fixture pile-up point of view, isn't it? So the fact that we aren't playing on the, the Tuesday, particularly given that we seem to be stacking up injuries at centre-half. Kapu could be off by the looks of it as well. Uh, I suspect we're probably going to lose Glenn Murray in the, in the new year, very early in the new year, if, Brian, if and when Brighton recall him. So it probably it probably does him quite a big favour because I would reasonably assume that they train less this year than any other season because of the, the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday um, nature of the league. They are probably having fewer training sessions, uh, you know, to, to, to try and avoid the piling up of injuries and fatigue. So I suspect it's probably quite a good thing. Yeah, I'm also not seeing too much so far that's, that's too complex in terms of trying to, how he wants to get the team to play. So I think I think if he has, if he manages to get the foundations in place and he can do that in a relatively short period of time, then the, I think the key thing really is having the players on board. And I think we all, we've all talked about it a fair bit since the game, but I think just the reaction of the players after the game, you saw there was a much different feel around the area, around the, around the pitch and going into the tunnel. And I think that's, that's a positive we can take away from it. So I think if you just kind of look at that as an isolated thing and, and say that there's, there's, a, there's a definite... A better feeling around the club that can be enough just to spur you on the extra 10 percent. i think that will help us in, in these games coming up um and then you can start you can integrate that that system and how he wants to play over, over the next few weeks and yeah i think i think having the the, the short turnaround is, is obviously there's some pros and cons to it but i think if we look at it just from a game to game perspective i think we'll be we'll be okay in terms of uh getting that idea across it's just a case of uh, performing at the same level and getting the same the same level of work rate and intensity from the players that will that will see us uh, through these next few games right good stuff well that's it for today's episode i hope everyone out there continues to enjoy the festive season uh please all have a good new year's eve as well i know it's not going to be the same as it usually is but try and have have some fun i'm sure you can you can manage it somehow zoom and everything uh we'll be back after the swansea match to discuss that game and also talk about some potential watford signings as well so jordan and tom get out there start looking at who Watford can potentially <laughs> bring in through the doors with limited budget it's probably gonna be loans isn't it we're looking at but let's see if we can come up with a few names uh well that's it from from tom from jordan we hope you have a very enjoyable new year's eve and we'll see you in a week's time Bye for now.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.